chapter 7, you can. We have covered a lot of ground um, in a long period of time. And uh, if you remember, it's been eons ago that we started out talking about the Beatitudes and, and just the transformation that God wants to do in our lives as believers. And uh, Jesus walked us through um, a lot of things where people had made loopholes and had let, lowered themselves from the standards that God had intended. And he covered topics about lust and adultery and hatred and anger and, and the murder. And he talked about uh, um, uh, breaking our, our covenants and our vows he talked about uh, the Word of God, taking the law and using it to our advantage to get revenge on other people. A lot of different things, idolatry, relationships, all this good stuff. But today, Jesus does what any, any good pastor does. He brings, brings people to a point of decision and uh, to a point of caution and warning and those kinds of things. And, and, and He's going to do that today as we open up the Word to chapter 7 of Matthew and verse 15 is where we're going to begin. Watch out for false, false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do not pick grapes. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So Jesus, as he's teaching and and, and showing a lot of wonderful things throughout this sermon, he closes things up and begins to close things up with a warning. Watch out for false prophets. How many of us know that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the church? We know that he has laid a good foundation he has built the right foundation by which you and I are connected to the truth of the gospel. He established it. The prophets, the apostles all testified of Jesus. And their plan was to make Jesus great, proclaiming the goodness of God. And that is why we exist today. However, there is an enemy. And Jesus knew that there was an enemy. He'd come face to face with him. He'd come face to face with him even before this world existed. He knew there was an enemy. And he warned them and he said, look, all the things I'm telling you and all the stuff that I've set straight. And he's teaching with authority here, telling them and warning them because there's an enemy that will come to kill, steal, and destroy. And this enemy will send his messengers and he will send his prophets And He will send people into the realm. There are people today that are sprinkled throughout churches, some in pulpits, some that are teaching, some that are singing, some that are all these different people that have no motive or very little motive to serve God. They just like their platform and their praise from people and the approval of people. They have no idea that today, if they continue to live in a sinful life, ignoring the truth of the gospel that they are actually a pawn of the enemy wanting to kill, steal, and destroy from the church. You see, God is judged a lot because His church isn't perfect. But Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew that there were going to be... We're living in warfare, folks. He knew and told these, these baby Christians that there were going to be carnivorous wolves that would come in to kill, steal, and destroy. And just like a hunter 
would plant himself up in camouflage, whether it be if he's hunting turkey in a blind or if it's a deer up in a stand up high where he's not noticed. These things that we do if we're hunting, we camouflage ourselves, we hide ourselves. The enemy, in the same way, puts on the proper camouflage for a church. And the camouflage is exactly what Paul warned Timothy about in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, beginning of verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. I can't help when I read that. I can't help but think of the Looney Tune car- cartoons where, do you, do you all remember the, 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 uh, uh, the sheep dog? And he always had the hair over his eyes, but he could see everything. He's like, Phew! you know, he was the greatest cartoon character ever. And then you had the coyote and they would all, they would go to the sheep herd every morning and they'd punch in on a clock on the tree. And it's morning, Sam, morning. And then they go and do their thing, you know, and and they, 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 they fight each other all day long. And I remember one specific scene to where the, the coyote puts on a sheepdog costume. And he looks just exactly, you can't even see the zipper. Looks just like the sheepdog. And he comes up and he's like grabbing a sheep. And he's hiding and he starts to run off while he runs into the sheepdog. And so the sheepdog looks at him and, and he's got to put the sheep down and then the, and the coyote changes, unzips, and he's a sheep. And then the sheepdog unzips and he's a coyote. And then the sheep unzips and he's a sheepdog. And then the coyote, you know, they, so they start going back and forth. We Listen, there are people that play that masquerade in church regularly. Like cartoon characters. They want to cover up. They want to hide. They want to come in. They're masquerading as something, but really the motive is to destroy. The motive is to hurt. The motive is to divide and separate and cause discord. The best way to disrupt an effective church is through a false prophet. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, correct? It, it works the same way with the church. You bring a false prophet in and they begin to speak things opposite of what God has really wanted to speak, or they change things or twist things, it is a sure way that the church is going to be divided, destroyed, and fall apart. And that's what Jesus knew was going to happen. He knew that there were going to be people doing that. In our culture today, we set a perfect stage for it. In our westernized culture today, now, don't take me wrong. I'm not throwing under the bus every part of, of commercialized Christianity. There's some really positive stuff out there. There are some good music, and there are some good speakers, and there are some good books. However, we better discern who it is we're listening to and what we're watching and what we're putting ourselves under. We've got to be careful. Why? Because in our culture today, uh, Christianity is a pretty marketable thing. And some people that can't make it directly in the secular world, they think, well, maybe if I can get into the Christian scene a little bit, then maybe I can cross over eventually where the real money's at. A lot of people do it. Many have done it. Our culture has got a problem because we, we, we set it up in such a way where we exalt people. We, we put them on television. We put them on radios. We do all these things, and we want their faces in front of us regularly. And what happens is, is pride is, is what's driving people into ministry in some cases. They don't last long. However, i got an encouraging word for you. 
Jesus says not to worry about it because you're going to be able to recognize them. You're going to be able to recognize them by their fruit. Now, if it's fall in Indiana, and I tell you to go find me an apple tree, would you be able to find an apple tree? Would you be able to look at it, and if I had an apple tree next to a maple tree, and I said, which one is the apple tree, and it's the middle of the fall, would you be able to tell me which one was the apple tree? I would know because if I had green apples on it, I would throw them. That's what I did as a child. I would throw them at my friend, and then we would also take salt. Mom probably lost a lot of salt shakers out in the the orchard, and we would eat, we'd put salt on it and eat green apples. Um... It was a bad combination. (laughs) But it tasted so good. You You can recognize a tree by its fruit when it's in season. Now, somebody that's really good can tell you the tree just by the leaves. Right? There are some people that can study trees and know trees just by recognizing. They very quickly can identify a tree. But the general population... The overwhelming majority of people are not going to know an apple tree by its leaves. They're going to know an apple tree by two ways. They're going to know it because there was apples on that tree last year, or there's apples on it right now. In the same way, we're going to recognize people by their fruit. And the fruit can't be denied. If they're producing fruit that's opposite of God, they are a false prophet. Now, I'm not talking about mistakes, okay? I'm not talking about an accidental mess up. I'm talking about consistent. These people that are producing fruit in our culture. There's a couple fruits that I want to evaluate or help you understand how to evaluate. One of them is is the teaching. The teaching fruit. The teaching fruit is a very important and it's the most obvious fruit that you're going to see in a false prophet. It's false teaching. That's the obvious thing. Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be under God's curse. What Paul is saying there is, as people came in, they began to blend together uh, Judaism and Christianity and demanding certain aspects of Judaism and faith and all these different things, and they're turning away from the gospel of faith. And what Paul said is, is, if anybody does that, if they come in and they either add something to or they take something away from, then you need to look at them and understand that they are a false prophet. He goes as far as to say that that word that says they're under God's curse means anatema, which means that they should be condemned or damned to hell. And he says it twice. They changed the gospel. They've added to the gospel or they've taken away from the gospel in their teaching they are a false prophet. Let me just say this. In our culture today... There are a lot of pressures on pastors, on preachers, and on, 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 on evangelists and people that travel and speak. Um, they are afraid to offend people. They're afraid because our culture is driven by a thing called social justice. And I'm sorry, social justice is based upon an individual 
a perception of our culture and based upon a few things of our culture, if it goes outside of the gospel, if somebody calls what God called sin and they take it and they call it good because they're afraid of what somebody outside of these walls might think, I don't care, you can rationalize it till you're blue in the face, but according to the word of God, you sir, you ma'am, are a false prophet. And Paul says that you should be condemned to hell. Pretty strong words, aren't they? But it's the truth. It's the seriousness by which we should approach the Word of God. If somebody gets up and they begin to take the Word of God and they either add to it or they take away from it and they begin to take what God has called sin and rationalize it and say it's okay, our day and age has changed, I don't care if they married you, I don't care if they have done your baby's dedications, I don't care if they baptized you, they can be the nicest person in the world, they can be a snappy dresser, a great speaker, I don't care, they are a false prophet. And what the church needs to do is rise up and say, you are a false prophet. Jesus warned us of this. And he said, be careful and watch. If you see this fruit, if you see somebody come in and they begin to take the word of God and they take it apart and they pull it out of context. Now listen to me. There are times where a minister will, on accident with the right heart, misuse a passage. You know who's guilty of it? I am, I've done it before. And then later I've gone back and went, oh, <laughs> I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm not talking about a misinterpretation. I'm talking about people who take out sections of the Bible. I'm talking about people who cut off chapters that's talking about different issues that they're afraid to either deal with, talk about, or address, or they got in their own life. It's a false prophet. You see, the concern is this. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Jesus and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge. And this charge that I'm going to read to you is the same one that I took when I got ordained by the assemblies. It's the same one they give every, every spring when ordination candidates come in. Uh, they begin to speak about this. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. False prophets. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. This thing right here that he's talking about, the minister of God becoming a politician, having a political mindset that says, I'm looking for employment, I'm looking for a place that I can work, and so he goes and finds a church that people will allow him to say what he wants to say so he can encourage them. He will only tell them that which will encourage them so that he can get the money that he wants out of them and his livelihood that he wants. People with itching ears. Folks, we live in those days. 
people who will gather among themselves a great number of teachers, not one or two. Think of the access of the internet that we have today. Think of the access of e-books and bookstores. We can download, we can purchase, we can do whatever we want to capture uh, whatever it is that anybody wants to feed into us. But what we're doing is we're feeding back to them money. And people will say and do anything for money. What's the fruit? What's the message? What's the content? Is it God glorifying or is it man exalting? Here's the thing. Paul warned Timothy, he said there's a day coming where people are going to look for a form of Christianity, a form of religion, but the content, they want it to fit their sinful lives. So because of that, they're going to gather around them compromised leaders who will say whatever to keep people happy and to keep people paying them. And we already know that Paul also told Timothy that they'll have a form of religion, but deny the power that can set them free. False prophets. Jesus warned of it. He said, you can recognize it. And the easiest way for us to recognize it is by their teaching. What God has called ministers and us as Christians to do, He's called us to go out and to be prepared to lay ourselves on an altar of sacrifice if need be for the truth. To walk into a fiery furnace. To stand in the valley against a giant by ourselves. He's called us, folks, to not compromise things because people it's not popular. The truth is the truth. And according to the Word of God, Jesus is the truth. And the truth will set you free. We cannot compromise. So if you're in the midst of, 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 of a book or a show or whatever, and you've turned it on and it's had the title of Christian, and, and you look at it and you want to trust that, and, and I have no problem with that, but you get into it far enough and you start seeing the fruit goes opposite of the Word of God, shut it, shut it off, take the book, don't sell it to a friend, don't give it to a library, don't give it to anybody else, burn it. It's a false prophet. That's just my opinion. So the fruit of teaching. Secondly, the fruit of their personal lives. This one's a little harder. This one's a little bit more like watching for leaves. Because we don't always see people uh, in ministry off of a stage or out of a pulpit. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He's warning about false prophets who have an appearance or masquerading as, as a child of God or you know, an angel of light in front of people, they did the right things, especially for a Pentecostal service. They prophesied. There were miracles that took place. Pretty powerful things. If we look at those things alone, the external production in front of people, we can't allow ourselves to be deceived. And many of us have been at different times. Many of us have been drawn into the excitement of the moment. Many of us have been drawn into something and say, wow, I said this in the first service, that a Pentecostal church is the best place for this type of deception. <laughs> I know, I don't, I'm not putting down Pentecostals. I are one, okay? It's all right. It's okay. 
My point is this, is a lot of other denominations are so afraid of everything that they won't let anything happen in their church. The Holy Spirit, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't talk about the Holy Spirit. And is that when them people talk in tongues? Well, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. I'm talking, you're talking about tongues. We don't, we don't even mention it. So there's not a chance for anybody to get confused by some kind of a supernatural gift. However, in the Pentecostal church, <laughs> over the years, how many times has God been blamed for every crazy thing that anybody's ever done in the whole world? Every bad YouTube video you can ever find on YouTube and it, it say, oh, this was the Holy Spirit. Mm, I don't think it was the Holy Spirit on that one. So we must be careful because there are some people that are going to come out and do really spiritual things that don't even know Jesus. They can come into the church and learn the lingo. They can talk the talk. They can get up and even preach. They get up and say a lot of things without saying a word. And, 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 and people get caught up in it. It's like, oh, that guy can preach. What do he say? He can say nothing. We get caught up in all this stuff. And a person can move a crowd and say and do things to get them wound up and not even know Jesus. That's what it says. He says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord. They're even going to confirm and say, Lord, I prophesy. Do you know you can fake prophesy? If you're brave enough. If you want to stand before God, the Lord hath said, dogs are cute and they eat cats. Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) You can false prophesy. You can deceive yourself and get up and when God said, but Lord, I prophesied. He goes, what? What was that? You You can fake miracles. You can lie about miracles. You want to know how I know about lying about miracles? And I'm not saying all of them are, but usually when there's a there's a revival, a whole bunch of people come in and lie about miracles. It's their platform, get on TV and talk about it. I grew a leg. And meanwhile, they got a friend who's like, Joe, man, dude, you've always had a leg. Dude, you've always had two legs. No, 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 no. This one grew. We've raised 25 people from the dead. And I can't find an article on it anywhere on the newspapers all over the United States of America. Listen, man, you can, you can make false healings. It's possible. Why? Because people get stirred up and they show up. And you know what they do when they show up? They sow a seed offering, bless God, of $500 to wait for my healing and my blessing from God. <laughs> Hear me, folks. I'm not saying it's all craziness because I know there's some legitimate people out there. But don't just trust an upfront approach to everything. If the heart is not there, if they don't know Jesus in their personal lives and their lives are a mess, they are a false prophet. I don't care how good they look. They put their $1,000 clothes on, their pointy shoes, and they got their nice watch and that shirt with all the embroidery stuff all over it and their jeans from Buckle. And they got their hair doing the thing and those cool little square glasses things going on and they can look the part, I'm telling you. They can look at really good and get up and even speak like this. 
bless God. When you say God, you go, God. And people go, man, they, they, they may not even know Jesus. Oh, right now everybody's saying, great, well, then who can we trust? Just watch for fruit. And if the fruit in the private life isn't there, if outside, if, if up in the pulpit they're super compassionate and outside the pulpit they're full of themselves, you might want to go, I have a problem with this. Let me just give you some of these examples quickly. I was in my devotions here a while back and I was reading through the Old Testament and went through the, the, the prophets and in Zechariah, a section of scripture jumped out at me. I won't read the whole chapter, I'll just read this portion of it. But beginning in verse 15, uh, God was uh, allowing... Uh, Israel will be judged, and it was through leadership that he was going to let it happen. But Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15, Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Bob, this is a picture of our generation. This is a picture of where we're at in America right now, uh, of, the, of the shepherds, where we're at. If we look here, this is a picture of a false prophet. A foolish shepherd or a false prophet does not care for the lost. Look at it, it says, who will not care for the lost? Now tell me, this, this shepherd who doesn't care for the lost, if he was called and hired to take care of the sheep, and you hired him, would you appreciate a shepherd that doesn't care about the lost sheep? But unfortunately, in our culture today, there are many churches that never even concern, never mention a word about the lost. There's never, there are pastors that don't care where the people are going to hell. Like I said before, I had a friend that before he became a minister years back, he was in a church, and he, was, he said, Bob, he said, I was a slobbering drunk. I had no idea, and he said, I was in that church for years and years and years, had no idea that I was even lost. I didn't know Jesus. He said, I got saved at a, at a revival at a different church, and he said, I had to go back and realize, he said, I left the church. He said, I had no idea I was even lost. He says that it doesn't care about the young. A false prophet won't care about the young. Think about it this way. If there's a shepherd and you've hired him to take care of your sheep and he doesn't care about the new little baby sheep, the little ewes, he doesn't care about ewes, that's not good. If you were a shepherd, you hired a shepherd to take care of your flock and he's going to let it die out because he doesn't care about the young ones? Folks, today it's happening all over the place People, people don't worry about their kids. They don't worry about that. People get set up in their mindset in their church and pastor up. Kids cost too much money. They're dirty. They smell funny. They track in. They require help and assistance. You can't get people to help and assist with the kids. Why? Well, they're not important. That's the attitude of a, of a false prophet outside of the pulpit. He does not care for the young. He doesn't heal the injured. A false prophet will lack compassion, has no compassion for hurting people. Verbally, he may say it from the pulpit. He may sound really nice, especially right up to the offering. Oh, gosh, we love you all so much. 
But then they're not ever going to visit anybody. They're not ever going to go to the nursing home. They're not going to go to anybody's house. They're not going to anything like that. I sat in a room full of ministers one time where I heard the minister tell a younger minister, uh, you, you, he, the younger minister says, what do you guys do for hospital visitation and, and, and care ministry? He said, I don't. It's not my job. And inside I went, well, whose job is it? I don't know. It ain't my job. My job is to teach and preach. Well, out of reverence for the older minister, I called the guy later. I said, you're not buying into any of that nonsense, are you? He's like, no. Listen, if we've been called to be a shepherd of God, to watch over a flock, we better have some care and love about us. That's just the way it's got to be. Now, you can't be at everything all the time, but you've got to at least do your best to try to get somewhere. But then we get down to these last ones that are really serious. He, he, does, he won't even feed the healthy. Seek the young, heal the injured, or feed the healthy. As I said, you can preach and never say anything. That is a fruit of a false prophet. People that are going to church, and all they get is is a whole bunch of nicey-nice, warm sugar, fluffy, whatever, so that you put in your duty as quickly as you can, preacher. Do it as quickly as you can, so I can get done and get out of here. And that preacher standing up here and not saying anything, but a whole bunch of making a whole bunch of noise and dancing around and putting on a nice show... False prophet. That's what they do. Now we look, you say, not only that, he won't even feed the healthy, and he will eat the meat of the choice sheep. A false prophet will have an entitlement mentality. It will be about, he will see the sheep as a means to his end. In other words, I got hired for this for a job, I'm going to get something out of it for me. And he begins to devour the sheep and tear up what God has entrusted into his hand and trying to get from them constantly what he can get. Are you sick and tired of hearing? Had this conversation after the first service with somebody. So are you sick and tired of hearing on every Christian network or Christian television sowing in a love seed into our offering? Uh, sowing an offering of a love seed of $500 into this ministry and the Lord's going to bless you. Do this, do that. Listen to me, folks. Constantly taking from, constantly tearing out from other people and demanding more from them than you give of yourself is fruit of a false prophet. We've got to be aware of these things. And the last one, tearing off their hooves. A false prophet will tear off the hooves of the sheep. What does that mean? It means that he will not let anybody else rise up. He's going to keep them suppressed, just like the Pharisees did with the people, keeping them suppressed, letting them know that I'm above you, you're below me. You stay there, I'm here. They will never raise anybody up. They will never empower anybody. They will never let find anybody else to replace themselves because it's, it's all about me. I'm the false prophet. That's what I do. It's all about me when the reality of it is, is it should all be about God in these sheep that he's entrusted. So these are all the warning signs. And the bad thing is, is here's the result. If you allow yourself to stay under a false prophet, look at verse 17 of Zechariah 11. This is what's going to happen. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. Two things that are going to happen, I need to hurry. But one of them is this. His arm is going to be destroyed. His right arm, his strength. His strength and his authority will be removed. Have you ever seen somebody preach or teach other than myself without any authority? With no strength. With nothing to offer. There's nothing there. No power. No authority. Nothing. And the other thing is, is the vision. 
His eyes, guys, his right eye, his vision is gone. And we all know that according to Scripture, that without vision, the people... Don't allow yourself to stay under a false prophet. Whether it be books you're reading, whether it be shows you're watching, and even if it's myself, okay? (gasps) Pastor, could you be one? You know what? Evaluate my life. See if I am or I'm not. The fact that I invite it ought to tell you something. The fact that I sit down once a month with my elders and I look at them in the eye and I say, if there's anything at all in my ministry that you're uncomfortable with or you have a red flag about, please speak to me about it right now. Why? Because I don't want to be this guy. We want to grow. We want you to grow. We want you to be empowered and to walk and to be raised up and strengthened. And God doesn't want us to, to, to want me to lead without vision or without any kind of authority. So we got to watch for these things, for, for what we expose ourselves to. If there is a, let's just say, a, a worship team that's, that's famous or a worship leader that's, that's, that's uh, been known all over the United States, and let's just say they come out and they speak in favor of something that is clearly sinful according to the Word of God and what God has said. What, what are you saying, Pastor? What should I do? Quit listening to them? I would quit listening to them, and I would delete every ounce of music off of my device that they ever had, and I would never sing another one of their songs again. <gasps> well, that's really harsh. I don't want that spirit injected into me. I'm not going to follow I'm not going to follow that nonsense. So we have to be serious as it comes to, to uh, false prophets. Protect yourself and realize there's self-deception. Don't come in to the church and do spiritual activities and, and convince yourself that you're okay. You've got to, outside of the pulpit, outside of the pew, be able to be in relationship with Jesus. Lastly this morning, obedience for all of us involved is key. Matthew 7, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Obviously, we have two stories here, two accounts, same story, First thing I'd like to point out quickly is that the storms came to both. Life happens and storms are going to come. Your faith will be challenged. Your faith will be tested to see whether or not it is real. Yes, God will allow your faith to be tested. God wants your faith to be tested. And it's going to happen. Here's the difference. You have one built upon Jesus Christ who will obey him no matter what. You have one who's built on the sand and sometimes will follow and sometimes won't and will shift and change. You have one who, 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 this one on the sand you would equate to being the one that stood before Jesus and said, I've done all these wonderful spiritual things. He's got a house. He's got, he's got a, what looks like salvation. He's got the church, he's got the four walls, but he's not attached to Jesus. He doesn't know him. You can't build something spiritual and eternal off of Jesus. You have to build it on Jesus. 
And so when the faith comes and, the, and the, the storm and the wind and the waves and the water come and challenges what you believe, the person that goes through on the other side and is still standing shows that they are genuine, shows that they are obedient, that they have founded themselves on the scripture. They have obeyed the word of God and their obedience of the word of God has even brought some of the storms into their life. People have said things about them. People have talked about them. People have judged them for their understanding of what God has said. Child of God, if you obey the Lord and you trust him, there are going to be storms. I've had one or two in my life. Have you? The fact that you're still standing on your faith is proof that you are saved, that you are genuinely obeying the word of God. That mentality inside of you that says, I will not quit, I will not give up, I will not deny faith, I will not, shows that you are truly a child of God. You don't ever have to be afraid and stand before him and think that he's going to tell you to depart from me, I never knew you. You don't have to be afraid. If you've been through those storms and maybe not perfect and maybe times you've messed up and maybe times you've done something wrong in the process or you've been angry at God or whatever else, but you come through on the other side and you look at him like Job did and say, wow, I cover me in ashes, man. I'm so sorry. Your obedience makes God smile. If you're in the midst of the storm and you refuse to go down, God is smiling at you. He takes joy and delight in you. You say, Pastor, how do you know? He takes joy and delight because he sees the end from the beginning. And when he told Satan, have you considered my servant Job, who was obedient, who was righteous, he did it with joy knowing what was going to happen at the end. Folks, if we can obey God, and God says, have you considered my servant Bob Fairchild? Have you considered my servant uh, so on and so forth down the line? He knows we are going to overcome because our faith is firm. However, if you have some form of religion without power, if you've taken on some kind of faith that says, I believe in Jesus, but I don't agree with this portion of the Bible or I don't agree with that, if you're the type of person like a false prophet is that can go back through the whole Sermon on the Mount and pull out the stuff that most people are uncomfortable with and throw it away, then you, when your trials come, when you get to the other side of it, you're going to say, hmm, you know what, this Jesus thing didn't work for me. And it falls with a great crash. Have you met them before? Or is it only me that's met these people? I don't go to church anymore because God this and God that. God made my kids sick. God, God hurt my marriage. God did this. God did that. And because of God, I'm no longer going to... No, 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 no. If you would have built upon Christ, you wouldn't be where you're at today. You put on Jesus Christ as a comfort thing and not as a safety thing. You put him on as a... As a you put a, a, a parachute on to make your flight comfortable. When the truth of the matter is you need to put one on to make yourself safe when the flight goes down. You can be uncomfortable in Jesus when you know that you're going to have to jump out soon. But if you think you're going to land somewhere, you're going to take him off. The difference is obedience, folks. The things that Jesus taught all through the Sermon on the Mount, a false prophet, he is not going to be changed. He's not going to be transformed. He's not worried about being merciful. He's not going to repent and mourn over his sin. He's not going to worry about suffering for righteousness sake. 
false prophet is not about suffering. He's going to pull everything else out that Jesus talked about and throw it away, change it and make it fit to whatever he can get out of it. But a true believer will say, I will obey. Lord, if I have to suffer for righteousness sake, so be it. There's a difference, my friend. And it's, don't be deceived in thinking that following God is going to make your life perfect. And don't be deceived by thinking not following God is going to make your life perfect. Because wind and rain and storms are coming. Be on the foundation. Be on the foundation. Be on the foundation. Be on the foundation. Where is your faith? Bow your heads with me this morning.